Welcome to Discipleship 2, Reaching Beyond Mediocrity, Lesson 9, Adopting God's Hope, Overcoming Depression, by Paul Bucknell. This was first presented in Oakland International Fellowship, produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net. Releasing God's truth to a new generation. This lesson has been built upon the foundation of the first several lessons in this series. Make sure you listen to them. Also, pick up a copy of the exercises. They will greatly enhance your learning. We're still going through the series, Reaching Beyond Mediocrity, Discipleship 2, meeting the second level of discipleship out of three levels. Today's topic is Adopting God's Hope, Overcoming Depression. In each lesson, we've been trying to focus on how God wants us to grow and not have different problems in our life just kind of hold us back. And in this sense, we're going beyond mediocrity, uh, beyond the average. So this is lesson nine. When we began this series, we started talking about why this is all true. We talked about the spiritual life process. It's what we call the flow. It's, It's something that once God begins a new life in us, He's committed to help us on every different front of our lives. And it becomes the backbone of our faith. Now, how do we know what God wants to do in our life? It's the truth. He's revealed to us what he wants to see in our life. And so he just gives us this power of the gospel and he releases it in our life stage by stage. But once we're born again, once we have that new life in Christ, that forgiveness, we become his children, and all his promises are infused into our life. Now, the problem is that sometimes we don't apply those promises to our lives. We don't know what he wants. We don't know how to do it. And so this series has been trying to focus on how God has made us overcomers, as it says in 1 John 2, 12 to 14. He's made us overcomers. In other words, through his word, we can overcome difficulties and and problems that weigh other people down. This is a powerful, powerful series and promise in that sense. Why don't we open in a word of prayer as we continue. Lord, we thank you so much for your amazing love and grace. It just, again, uh, makes us wonder, why would you ever invest so much in people like us? We need you, Lord. We really need you so much. Will you open our eyes, Lord, to the power of your word, to your great design, to work through our lives, to what it is to be Christ-filled, to be those people who have your hope reigning in our hearts. Oh, Lord, there's so many discouraged and depressed and down people all around us, Lord. Would you please help us, Lord, to know of your message of hope in our hearts that we could, with our lives and lips, be able to pass on your message of hope through Christ. Now teach us and bless us and help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our topic today is overcoming depression, and I've always noticed this uh, with depression, there's so many down D words, disappointed, despondency, despair, down, downward, depressed, dejected, and there's more. It, It just kind of reminds us, wow, you know, there's a whole area of our lives where we can really be oppressed and feel discouraged. I don't think that's even on there, right? Discouraged. But it's very true. And these feelings, this aspect of our life is so powerful, it actually begins to shape and influence how we respond, how we interact with others, and even to some point, how we carry out our things in our own life. On your sheets, um, actually, if you would take your last sheet, there's, I think, five simple questions. If you would just take your last sheet, and answer the first five questions. We're talking about despondency. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit as you fill that out. Don't, you don't, at this point, uh, need to fill out the bottom. But the first one on this depression exercise, do you ever feel hopeless about a situation? And on the left, no, not at all, not, not really. And in the middle, maybe sometimes, always on the right, regularly every day kind of thing. The second one, do you ever wonder whether God will or can help you in performing some needed task? Now, if so, just list. Third one, do you ever feel like giving up or avoiding things? Number four, when down or depressed, how much does it affect your daily routine? 
And lastly, do you let your feelings guide your thoughts and decisions? We want you to make this a practical lesson to be able to think, wow, how does depression, despondency, being dejected influence my life? Some of you have filled out you know, previous exercise worksheets and you'll be able to get a real picture. Wow, that's the way I am. It really helps, actually. Not to get you further discouraged, though. I mean, that's not our purpose. But to be able to help you reflect, yeah, I, I am like this. Why am I like this? Do I need to be like this? Those are some of the questions we're trying to bring up here. Because we're actually trying to lead you, as it says in Psalm 23, to green pastures, the still waters. If, if the waters are moving, the sheep are afraid to go by. But when they're still, it becomes something where you can uh, be able to uh, be refreshed and anointed and go on. It is amazing, though, uh, when we think of depression, how common it is. Antidepressants are the most described drugs in the U.S. 118 million prescriptions filled in 2005. Actually, when I was young, I was in college, I wrote a paper on depression, depression and missionary. And at that point, they called depression an epic in the United States. And so what we find, you know, is, is the antidepressants is people fighting back the surge of depression that is just overcoming the society. So many people are influenced and affected. So it's not something that's uh, rare. It's something actually very common. And it's something that we, if we don't meet up with individually, will other people will meet up with. And we'll have to say, well, what can I say to them? Well, we want you to be thinking about that all through this time. Because we're still convinced that when you find healing in your life in a certain area, when you find that God uses his word to help you in a certain part of your life, you have a testimony. And you say, well, you know what God did in my life? And you share that with them. You don't have to be a doctor. You're just being a brother to brother, a sister to sister. You're helping somebody just by showing how God helped you in that past situation. I want you to be weary. This is a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's a, it's actually a wolf. And we have to be careful about what we're hearing in this world. There's a lot of people who mean good, but actually it's bringing problem. First of all, be careful of the world's hype. Uh, for example, there is a, a common association with, say, menopause with depression. But actually, when you look at the statistics and, and really decipher the reports, no, no, no. It's not. It's connected, perhaps, with the age, but not the physical symptoms, the hormone change. That, that's not what it's connected with. But it's very easy to just associate that, and that's my problem. Oh, I get menopausal hormone deficiency, and therefore I feel down. It's not so easy, and it's very easy just to kind of pick up these things and, and follow through there. It, instead, what we should be alert to, for example, uh, during menopause or, or, or that different hormone changes in life, is what happened is that you, you maybe don't have those hormones, but what all we should have learned through life and how to rejoice in the Lord, how to be good even when we don't feel like being good, how to be gentle and kind, even if those extra hormones aren't there. But that's not really our major means by which we do those things. We've learned through all these years how to depend on God's grace. And so there's a lot of things happening at that age, and I'm just giving you one example. But there's a lot of hype, what I say, and it just kind of, if it doesn't go f filtered through the scriptures, it's very easy that we maybe have a, wide, uh, a blind trust in what the world analysis is. I'm, for example, very concerned uh, with what happens with anyone that gets close to depression. They rush into medication. Uh, actually, even today, they're saying they don't work. Uh, they don't work for a large percentage of the people that use them. Uh, second of all, uh, there's a lot of side effects. And, and I think for the main reason... Uh, we have to be careful when they're used, is that they're not getting at the source. For example, let me give you... When we say that the 
medication has uh, is trying to deal with a problem in terms of my depression. I, I feel very depressed. And so I take medication to help me not feel depressed. Why am I depressed? A lot of people aren't asking that question. Doctors don't have time to ask you if they don't even believe it. What they're assuming is because there's medical, there's chemical change, so they say, well, we'll just change the chemistry and then you'll be better. But that's not the source of depression in, in most cases. Maybe there's a thyroid gland and you can get a medical checkup and, and see if there's a, a deficiency that way. But for most cases, depression doesn't come that way. There's a source and there's a problem behind all those chemical changes that perhaps cause those chemical changes. And so, yes, you might be able to minimize the resultant type of feeling of depression, but there's another issue here, and that issue is that actually the source is what we need to focus on, because that's where God will bring healing and help to our lives. I think another thing just generally is that we have to be more quick to adopt God's message of hope. He really wants us to be a people that believe Him and trust Him. We're so slow. I mean, we're quick to run there, quick to run there, quick to blame this or that. But we don't go to God for some reason. But I think as we study the scriptures carefully, we find that, no, it's very important that we begin to focus that God actually can help us face your true failures. This is an important point. We'll talk about it more. Depression is so uncomfortable. Why? There's a couple reasons. I think the one is I'm out of control. I can't control things. I can't control myself. Ah, and it's scary. So do you want to really admit it? Well, that's difficult, isn't it? Because maybe all your life you were able to command things and make things work, and you can't do that anymore. But to be able to admit it is beginning part of the solution because it helps us to say, well, why am I that way? And be able to say, well, can God help me in this kind of situation? That's where God wants to bring us. Can you say this verse with me from Psalm 125.1? Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Do you feel the strength in that? What's a mountain like? The unmovable, isn't it? It's the unmovable. It's a solid. During depression, it's like we're so wishy-washy, back and forth. It's like we're just all a melted heat. It just goes in whatever way something pushes us or blows us. But when you put your trust in the Lord, you'll be able to find strength that you would never have before. And I've found that in many cases in my own life, and I believe you probably have too. So remember, the issue is that trust, that belief that we focus in in our own lives. Can I read the next verse in that song? Sure. Yeah, Wonderful. It says, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so is the Lord round about his people from henceforth even forever. And if you've been there, you see like Jerusalem is on this big hill, and that there's actually several big hills around the place. feel secure. So there's a whole set of mountains range around Jerusalem. I mean, thank you for reading that. I, I can't fit all everything on the slide. And, <laughs> but you see that focus on trust. And so, well, yeah, that's right, the trust. But now the question is, well, how does trusting the Lord have anything to do with my own situation, my depression, or my friend's depression? Well, let's go on and talk about that. I first need to talk a little bit about feelings and emotions. I was talking to my wife about depression. and She says, you guys are so different than us women. And actually, the statistics are that women get depressed at least two times more than men would. And I think largely it's, it's this feelings and emotions. So I've talked more about this in the anxiety series. I've elaborated more on this, but I, I need to bring it in here because sometimes when I'm talking about this topic, I'm talking about truth, what you're thinking. And my wife is saying, you're just talking about what you're thinking, not what you're feeling. But my problem is about what I'm feeling. This is kind of somewhat that tension. But I, I want to address it here to clarify things a little bit. So a lot of people think the feelings and emotions lead to depression. And I want to ask the question here, does it really? What are feelings and emotions? I think the feelings and emotions are the depression. So okay, you else, think it is depression. leads to that. Okay, I, I, it's not totally the depression itself. It's like a cloud, okay? 
Because depression, at least as I'm defining it, is that resignation of carrying out what I need to carry out, that resignation of my life to what is expected of me, just giving in. So there's those feelings and emotions. Let me, let me explain a little more. Maybe then you can ask some questions. I, I, I want to just explain things through a verse, though. Maybe help us a little bit. It says in Hebrews 5.14, But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. We talked about three levels of discipleship. We're talking about level two. This is kind of like the foundation of level two, what we're talking about here. The solid food for the mature, this is the key word for level three. But how do you get to level three? Because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That's how you're going to get to that maturity where you're more firm, as you say. You know, you're regular, you're consistent in that way you trust the Lord. Your circumstances might be up and down. But in terms of how you respond and trust the Lord is more regular and consistent. So the, the key here is, how do you have your senses trained? That word senses is very important. It's not talking about your feelings, training your feelings. It's training your senses. The senses is your perception, your judgment. And somehow we have to discern between good and the evil. And it comes back, again, to that mind, to that judgment. The way you perceive things is very important. It is true for a woman, her feelings are much more tied in with her judgment for his own good special purposes. But it is also, you can see why they would be more influenced by emotions than men generally. Let me give another perspective here. That perception, these senses, are amplifying whatever we perceive is amplified through our emotions and feelings, and that will lead to depression. So feelings and emotions, not so much, it's a more of a medium. What we sense inside, feelings are like an amplifier. It blows it out. It projects it into your body and, and through your decisions and thinking. And so you just feel sad. You feel depressed. Okay? But there's something else behind it, and that's what we need to learn, and that's what we need to focus. This perception and this what we're sensing, what our, we're judging. If we can have control of this, then we could perhaps... If this was full of hope, would this feeling be also of hope? You see, this is just amplifying this. This is not the controller of this. This is what controls this. And this is where the solution comes. Now, this can be ever so strong, dominating like a king, and you feel like you have no control. Don't be fooled. It goes back to these perceptions, what we're sensing. Can you talk more about the spiritual side of depression? Or is that coming up? I think I'll get into that a little bit more. What is the spiritual side of perception? Yes, at this point, we're just talking about generally uh, the perception. Uh, but we'll find, it, and, and some people say, okay, depression is just a physiological issue. Some would say, no, it's emotional. It's just how I feel. Yeah. Others say it, it's spiritual. No, actually, it influences different parts of our life, even as you looked on your exercise sheet. It does. But primarily... Because it has to do with how we perceive the world, we'll see that it actually is a spiritual issue first, and it will affect the other issues. So let's go on and think a little bit more. Where do depressions come from? A lot of it, I think, comes from broken dreams. Depression is the opposite side. We start with our idol, what we hope, what we believe about ourselves. I always want to be a great mom, or I want to be a good teacher, I want to be a, a good friend. But somehow, it's lost, and it's not there. And we lose that confidence, that faith, in just our normal self. Now, sometimes, by the way, our faith is not so much in God here. Our faith in expectancy is just what I've been able to do all my life. For example, some have studied up to college, and first four years of college, they've done well. Then all of a sudden, they fall apart when they're working on their master's or the PhD. And they can't believe they can't handle it. You see, it's a broken dream. There's, there's something they always figure they could handle. Now, depression can come about just by a lack of confidence. Not even, I'm not talking about so much even God here. Our confidence really should be in how God helps me to do well in school. That's the way it should be. Now, some of us have shortcutted it, and in our life, God will cut down that idol, will fail, and will see that I was just trusting what I normally could do on my own. Now, even as I get older, you know, my memory doesn't work, my body doesn't work. Oh, 
If my confidence was regularly in my youth, my beauty, sorry, I don't have that. I'm not, I'm not boasting about that. I'm just thinking about that is not my habit. It's not there anymore. Oh, you, you see, their focus is there and they can easily have that mindset. I'm not performing. Depression, this is my definition, my full spiritual definition, comes from doubting God's ability or willingness to help a person cope with some given circumstance. Okay? Depression comes from doubting God's ability or willingness to help a person cope with some given circumstance. Now, I put God in here because that's where we should really be trusting. And as believers, we always have that confidence. We can always believe that God can help us in our time of need. Depression is noted for these two words, give up, that spirit of resignation. I can't do anything about it. Now, I want to just go through some of these thoughts that come through our mind, and maybe you have some more, okay? I can't handle it anymore. What is that sense? That sense of spirit of, or feeling of overwhelming, right? I, I can't do it. I give up. Why? Because it is overwhelming. I, I'll never be able to do it in the sense of all that hope is stripped away. I may as well end it all. That's the spirit of suicide that just follows is associated with depression, I'm a failure. Just being able to see that for the first time. It's like a person who has had success looking at themselves as a failure, intolerable. Or I feel so alone, that abandoned uh, feeling that comes there. Do any other thoughts come to your mind? I know some people are very well versed in depression. You know, they go through it all the time and <laughs> those stains are... I was just saying on Friday to myself, I can't handle it anymore. I can't handle it anymore. I didn't get this one from you, though. <laughs> you see, you need to note these. We talked about perception, our senses, our judgment. It is through these lines that we're saying in our minds is where we will catch where we have lost hope, where we're at. It's a way we can diagnose ourselves by the very things that are going through our mind. Now, you might have strong feelings. Maybe you can say it this way. I feel like... But when you say, I feel like, I want you to go back to that chart we had, the perception goes back to statements. The statements is echoed in your feelings. Echoed, echoed, louder, 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 and you know, it just be overwhelming. But the sense of, identify them. Now, Satan will use these in a way to get you down, to malign you more, to hurt you more. God wants to bring out the truth, the right perspective, to build you up. I'll, I'll go through that a little bit more. Now realize depression has so many different, it's a cycle, actually a repeated cycle that goes again and again and again. And I want to look at it from two perspectives. I want to talk about it generally here to just kind of give you a feel for it. Often, if not always, real depression talk starts with disobedience. There's something we've neglected to do, say, or be. Something that we know we should have, but we haven't. Okay. Inside, what happens after that is that sense of avoidance we see it in the garden, Adam and Eve, right? The avoidance of God, avoidance of self, the turning of, of blame, of looking at somebody else. They did it. it. Not willing to look at oneself and expose their own disobedience, my own failure, where I have fallen short of the glory of God. We should be. I mean, that's, that's what, as Christians, if anything, we can come and relax before God knowing that there's not a judgment if we acknowledge it we've done wrong. There's forgiveness through the cross. There's total forgiveness. And it's just so wonderful. And so he befriends us. He welcomes us. What did Jesus say? You know, those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Totally different than, you know, some God that's just waiting to pounce on you when you fail. Yeah, our God, our Father is not like that. Along with blaming, there's that sulking. That sulking is a spirit where all these thoughts go through your mind and you just go down and down and down. And so depression is a, a sense of going, keep going down and down and down, and then going through this whole cycle again. Now, I want to explain it a little bit more clearly here. First of all, it's the disobedience. There's a sense of neglect. Some area I've become irresponsible. Now, this can happen in a lot of different areas of life. As a father, I haven't spent time with my kids. My kids are misbehaving. But also, I'll blame them. I'll get irritated at them. But it's because I haven't been a good father. 
or as a spouse, I haven't been faithful. I'm supposed to speak kindly and patiently. When they speak, I get irritated or something like that. There's that sense of defensiveness. And this is very similar to what we looked at, just looked at blaming someone else. But there's that hardening that happens around us where we just refuse to change. That's the way I am or I don't want to think about that. And we just don't want to change. And do you notice that with your friends, with your parents, with the inner children? They're, they're wrong, I'm right, and I just don't want to look at myself. We'll never be able to get into depression if we're not honest. The only reason we really can welcome that honesty is with Christ, is forgiveness. He's welcoming us. It's so important to remember this. There's that sense of despair that comes afterwards, and it comes on two sides. First of all, we're burdened by the neglect. You know, it can be something so simple as not doing laundry, and then it's piling up. And so you go down and look, thinking you're going to do it, and then it's oh, so much. And you feel like overwhelmed for some reason, and so you neglect it more. Now, this is almost a cycle that's repeating itself. Disobedience, when you look at it, is usually several times. It's just the sense of being irresponsible in something. But that little thing which you're irresponsible for can become a big thing. So a little seed even of sin, grows. It's likened to yeast, which just bubbles up in just minutes. It just grows. Whatever we've neglected just piles up, piles up. And that's why one of the cures for depression is simply, what have you neglected? Start doing it. Just do a little bit at a time. And that begins, you start getting at part of the problem of that burden of being, feeling overwhelmed, something you can't do. Just do a little every day. The other thing, of course, you're overwhelmed you don't see a way out, I can't handle it. Now, of course, if you're a student, some of you are students, right? What happens if you put off an assignment? Well, you know what happens. Yeah. Overwhelmed, now you feel depressed or discouraged. And yeah, everyone laughs, you know, yeah. And, but you don't see a way out. But there is a way out. Maybe not to be as well as it could have been if you actually did what you should have, when you could have, right? So there might be a cost, but there is a way that I could do my best from this point on. And that's part of the cure of what we're looking at. Because remember, there's a disobedience, there's some neglect that's become guilt, become despair. And this is where it begins to be amplified in the feelings, very strong. This is more the attitudes, the defensiveness, and yeah, his fault. You know, it's kind of looking down on others, that pride. But despair is where you begin to feel and they come up very strong to the point of dejection, the self-accusation. You are, okay, what happens is you hear the words, you are no good. You are no good. And later on you say, I am no good. I am no good. We just have to remember there's that sense of we start accepting this sense of accusation about no good. We've got to be careful here. This is where Satan is using his temptation. He's the master. What's his name? Revelation, he's called the accuser. That's his name. He knows how to get at us, the brothers and sisters in the faith, so that we become disabled. That's, that's another D, right? That's where Satan wants to use us, disabled. The last one where he wants to get us is D for death, and that's the next step after depression because it's a total resignation of life. I can't do anything. It's a final statement. Do you see how it works? The dejection is accepting that accusation. At once, you know, you weren't, but now, I guess I am that way. Before, I would, I'm not that bad, but now you feel that bad and you start accusing yourself. And so you're just giving in to the temptation of the evil one. I need to distinguish here what Satan's doing. Satan wants you to fail. He is bringing you down this deep trip. And he wants you to start accusing yourself. He only can whisper in your mind statements, but it's you that have to discern those temptations, like you are no good, so that you do not say, I am no good. Now, you might be saying, Paulette, didn't you just tell me we have to be honest and truthful? Yes, but only in a biblical way. See, Satan will say half-truths. He is focusing on you're no good, which is, yes, it is somewhat true. But it is not the whole story. Because what Satan says, you are no good, so therefore you should give up and just be no good. Well, God, the Holy Spirit, comes around the other way. He comes by and says, that's true, you failed. But come to the cross. 
find forgiveness, and let's do this together. Do you see the difference? God is there to make you an overcomer. No matter where you are in the cycle, you can say, hold it. Okay, God, I need your help. But you have to go back to the honest point of saying, yes, I have displayed, I have neglected, I was rude, I have defended myself. Just come out honest. But then when you're there, accept the healing of the cross. You have to go through the cross. And that's the power of the gospel. Because it's there we enter reminded of our sonship. Sonship meaning friendship. Friendship meaning co-workers in the family, the kingdom of God. And God's right there to bring out again. I know I've used uh, battles, uh, so many temp temptations. Sometimes I was at the bottom. I'm just going to give up. Now what is Satan going to say to me? Look how horrible you are. You'll never be able to conquer this. And he just wants me to say, yes, I can't. And therefore, draw the conclusion, I may as well just keep doing it. See, that's Satan. Lord, you are at your bottom. See what happens when you disobey me and you don't trust me? Now, you confess your sin. Get honest. You come back. I'll cleanse you. Oh, and I'll help you. And it's that renewal that he brings in at any point of this stage when we be able to catch ourselves. I am identifying these things because I want you to know these five Ds. Because this is where you're going to have to pick out these things in your own set. Where am I at? Or where is that brother or sister at? And just go through here. Maybe first illustrate in your own life. Let me share how this worked in my life. Then later, ask them, where do you think you're at? Because already they tell you, I am so discouraged. And they said, discouraged not on there, but you know, you can just put it in one of the categories. So the depression is that resignation of failure, where you just give up. You admit, I'm no good in that sense. No value, no good, you know, rejected. What happens in serious depression, it begins to take more part of your life, and therefore you just give in. And so, I'm no good, I can't do anything. And so you don't do anything. And so before you're just neglecting that, but now you're neglecting your husband, you're neglecting your friends, you're neglecting uh, God. And so you feel alone. Now you know why you feel alone. You're totally doing what God told you not to do. But it's that sense of resignation of failure. You just stop doing things. And even physically, you feel like you can't do anything. In reality, physically, you could. Emotionally, we all know you used to do this. But to try to tell a depressed person, hey, stand up and do it. You can do it. This is a very contagious disease. I mean, I don't really call it a disease, but a disease of the soul. Because if you're ever counseling a depressed person, it's so easy to get discouraged. After talking to them and hearing them for a while, you say, yeah, 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 you get depressed. It is so true. But again, you know, come back. God wants us to adopt his hope. There's a way out. Now, I just want to pause here because this is very important for us to get down. Are you following me, first of all? Do you understand this, this path here? Any points of clarification? For me, I went, I went through this. I don't know if it, if it quite fit the chart. Like, I think my, my disobedience there would have been like that I, I place my confidence in myself. Or maybe it was that I really wasn't spending enough time with God to understand him. My, my problem was I didn't realize God's going you know, to take care of the results of things. And I always thought, you know, it's up to me to make things happen. Mm -hmm. I guess this, this disobedience and the sense of pride. But then when I got depressed was when you're faced with, with the question, like, how long is your life going to be? You know, what have you done so far with life? <laughs> and then it's like my evaluation of my life said, uh, not good. And that's, that's the point where I started feeling depressed. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say at that point I was, I was defensive, even, even, even noticed when I disobeyed. Okay. So I guess it wasn't, I don't know, would you say that's like an active disobedience or just like, like I neglected something? Okay, um, this is just a model. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. Depression enters through a lot of gates. If you're in a particular circumstance, there might not be any particular one thing that you see that you're disobedient. But the point is, a lot of these things are happening. Uh, for example, when you are, it depends how far down you are too. 
often people do become very defensive when there's guilt. Okay? And so this is assuming that there is guilt and there is that defensiveness. If we just are here and we're kind of focusing on that despair, the overwhelmed, we need to think, even at that point, and I would encourage you to start thinking for other people, why is it that I feel overwhelmed? And, and I think what you're identifying is there are some areas that perhaps I had an idol and God cut down, that broken dream, bursting of that bubble of self-confidence. And he's trying to point you back to putting your trust in the Lord. My, my first response was, this is when I started blaming other people. Well, that's this. I'm not happy because... So I guess yeah, think about it a little bit more. On the second side, go through one of those circumstances. You might actually uh, fill that in. Not right now, uh, but I appreciate that. That's true. Not everything's going to fit to the T on this, uh, or fit to the D in this case. But we will find that generally you'll see a pattern. How about um, blaming others when they are really, really bad? <laughs> um, I'm not blaming. And it's like, this person is really, really bad to me. And I was like, am I blaming... Yeah. It's not always true, right? Because because I think I, I can be deceived by my feeling as well. Like this person has not been responsible for for, for his or her job. So it's like but we we tend to amplify the problems sometimes too. We we need to come to like discernment. I think I agree with you for to to be able to differentiate between what is the lies and what is self thinking and what is the truth. That is happening that affect my life. Yeah. So let me go on to this next slide, and I, I hopefully I can address that even better with this next slide. Remember the path of obedience. How does it work out in practical life? Now Jesus went through one of the worst circumstances in the world. Talk about broken dreams. His disciples all around him had broken dreams. Now read this with me, if you would, from Luke twenty-two forty-two to forty-four saying, Father, if thou remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony. He was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Jesus was tested so hard. I mean, he came to help and save, but the very people he's trying to help we're turning on him. We're going to kill him. They're willing to lie. Judas, one of his best friends, betraying him for money. All his disciples were turning from him. They couldn't even stand up with him and pray with him. Depression. Broken dreams. That sense of, I want to control things. I want to have success and see it. But sometimes we can't see success and it's very easy to say, focus on other people's problems. But I, I don't think, when we look carefully, we'll find that though Jesus could have blamed everybody in this circumstance, he focused on what God called him to. And this is important. Now, let me just go through three points here. First of all, God's will is always best. In other words, he was committed to doing God's will no matter what. We can see that if thou art willing, remove this cup. In other words, if there is another way, but if it's, there isn't, let your will be done. In other words, I'm with you all the way. And I think that's something we need to say. For a spouse, God, it's my commitment to my spouse no matter how wicked or evil he is. Okay, talk about blaming, right? Or my friend, I'm committed to loving my friends, not only my enemies, you know, even my enemies. So there's that sense of compassion and care for others, a commitment to God's best for others, that becomes my backbone. That's what I'm like. If it's going to cost me, it will cost me, but that's who I am. And it will cost you sometimes. And for Jesus, he died. He was beaten. He was spit upon. He lost all sense of dignity, being stripped, being accused, everything. He could have called legions of angels down. God will give grace to endure all situations. This is another important aspect, 1 Corinthians 10.13. No matter what I need in any circumstance that God puts me in, He will give me grace. Always. Now this is where I can't handle it. I can't cope. This is where this verse comes in. And this is Jesus' confidence. 
The commitment to say, I'll always do what God wants, is second by this truth that God will always give me grace to be able to do it. Now, sometimes I will not feel able, okay? I understand that. Those feelings will say, I am totally unable to do that. Being patient with someone. Putting up with somebody's antics. I just can't. I mean, you, you can feel that coming out of you, right? I can't do it anymore. Okay, that's when we get honest and say, Lord, on my own I can't. But this is where I need to see your miraculous grace come into my life. We always have to interrupt our thoughts and come in with a biblical full scope of truth. But you can. It's very important. And success does not always look like success. For that mother who is trying to do that laundry and it feels like no one cares for her. She's cooking another meal. The husband hasn't complimented her in two years. Or five years, you know. <laughs> or since they got married, now I'm trapped because now I thought he was kind. But now, look, at he never even recognizes what I do. But are we doing it for him? Yes. But are we not really doing it for God? In the end, when you take your whole life and measure it up, God's going to ask you, not whether you made a million dollars, not whether you did this or that, had a great job, PhD, but whether you were faithful in doing those things that sometimes people never see. And so for Jesus, we see here, his commitment just to die, which seemed to be so almost irresponsible. What are you going to give up your whole mission, your whole vision? Seemed incredible. But because it was part of God's line of duty, he trusted that God would bring success in his ways. And it does talk about that in Isaiah 53, the prophecy, how God would reward him, and he did. And he gave him the whole church. Uh, this was the whole reward, this whole success of Christ's sacrifice. Well, I just wanted to point out some of these, these things on God's will. We really are not talking directly about God's will, but unless we understand some of these truths and embed them in our soul, these are where we'll give up. We won't be able to cope with that. God's will is always best. But you have to believe it. Otherwise, Satan will bring you right to the point, <laughs> and you'll give up. Let me just go through this a little bit more. There's a training in truth. I believe God will always help me cope with my situation. Can you say that in your soul? He always will. Well, yes? It just happened last night when I think about my PhD study, and I was like, God, this is too huge. I cannot do this. And then it's just like, I will give up now rather than be temple you know, afterwards. It's going to fail anyway, Lord. <laughs> it's just like talking to the Lord like that. It's sin, sin. Yeah, it's better to do it now. Thanks for sharing that. Some of these circumstances we don't really want to share, isn't it? They're almost too private. They show how we're not in control. We're not successful. And we want friends to like us. And so we think that image is so important. But, hey, you know, it's just much better to be an honest and true friend. Because probably the person next to you also has a face. He's also suffering. And so both of you are going down two ships when you could save each other and help each other. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Well, I, I guess I also noticed that, you know, it says, I believe God will always help me cope with my situation rather than God will always help change my situation for the better. Yes. And that's where Jesus was at, right? It didn't get better when he was up on that mountain. He had to go down that mountain and be hung on a cross. See, we want the circumstance change. We think that's more important. But you see, God says, no. And this is where our theology has to incorporate and understand that God has his timing of rescue and his way. Where did he bring the Israelites before they crossed the Red Sea? Into a dead end where the Egyptian soldiers were running after them. They had no way to go. That's the end. I mean, God did that. He led them there. Well, sometimes he will. But he has his purpose, and that's where you have to trust. If you're committed you will gain the courage, you will gain the strength, and you'll fight. And sometimes I don't like all the bloody scenes of some movies or things, but you know, sometimes you see that courage in there, and that's something that's very biblical. Go on, do what's your task. It might be your life, but do it. There you'll see God intervene, maybe through death, maybe through that endurance to die, or maybe for rescue. 
but at least I was faithful doing what I could do. That's what God will ask us. So we have to go to in our own minds, no, it's not true, and you need to start studying in the scriptures some situations. God, you need to start teaching me how I can just trust you to be patient. Because trust will come from believing that God will timely work, notice timely work in his time, and accomplishing what you need. So I'm reflecting on depression from Exodus 5. Let me read this. And they said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now this story is all about when Moses came to rescue them and deliver them, but then they're actually being treated worse when Moses started talking to Pharaoh. And Moses returned and said to the Lord, Oh, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered thy people at all. In other words, God, you're not keeping up with things. Now, he's blaming God. You're talking about blaming people. Right? He's blaming God. You see how it works? But he was short-sighted, wasn't he? He wasn't, didn't have a full biblical perspective. If he did, he could trust God. In fact, God did say Moses, Pharaoh's going to be stubborn. And it's not going to be as easy as you think. But he's unwilling. He only heard the first part about deliverance. Didn't want to hear the other part. Remember, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Satan is our enemy, and he is in all the cycle of depression. Pull us out of commission. And if we can, down to death. Now, as, as much as you feel like you are overwhelmed, submerged in your feelings of depression, I want you to remember one thing. It's the same for demon possession, by the way. It, it, it's, it's important. God has given man a human will. As much as Satan has influenced us and brought us down to nothing, I want you to remember you always have a will that Satan can't control. He can influence your minds, your feelings, but in the end, you have something that says, I'm going to choose to serve God. I'm going to repent. I'm going to confess my sin. You can always interject there, you see. Now, we might not want to because we're hardened. We might not believe it will do any good because we're deceived. But down underneath all of that, there's light, there's hope, even in the worst dark situation. So when you say you, do you mean believers? Believers, definitely believers. Unbelievers have no hope apart from Christ. I'm not saying they can't skip out of depression, but usually what it means for them is that they cast their hope on another idol. I remember meeting one person and talking to them over months, and it was a very difficult situation. But this sister, she, was, she went through all the medication. Psychiatrist gave up. The next two days, she was going to be sent away permanently in a psychiatric ward. No longer function as a mother. No longer really function as God's daughter. She wasn't talking to God, didn't want to talk to anybody, didn't want to talk to the pastor. But God broke through. And this is the kind of hope you need to see. God gave me two verses. I came, I brought those two verses. I didn't know what to say, but I just said, all right, I'll tell her these two verses. And God broke through in such a way, her face was so hardened, and she just melted down, I mean, just in front of me. So soft all of a sudden, broken, tears. And there was a transformation of life. She was released to go home the next day. Doctor said, take a Medicaid. She didn't even take them. And I said, well, you probably should, you know, just slowly go off. She didn't. She was back mothering, being a wife, being a daughter of God. 24 hours. Total transformation. But the professionals had no hope. I, I want you to understand because it is so important for us. Because sometimes we feel so out of control, no hope, that God's there. You only need a little light in a dark room. Now, let me just summarize these two truths and just kind of close here. First of all, God's power. You need to see what God's power is. Right after Moses was complaining in chapter 5, God says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now you shall see. I want you to be aware of what can happen. Jesus said in Oh, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Now, these are just not men. These are not Roman soldiers. These are angels. 80,000 angels like that. Jesus was not going to do that. But don't you think I could? In other words, the issue was not whether God was powerful. 
I mean, he can stop your friends. He can stop your friends from being, being terrible. He can stop and he can change the world around. We have to have hope in that. It's not whether God can change. No, it's his timing. It's our faith. It's our trust. This is one of the backbones of overcoming depression. The lie is God is not able to help you. So remember that. And you'll feel overwhelmed partly because you cannot do it. And you cannot do it because you are not able to. The second truth is God's care for his people. Job's life is a, is a wonderful example, even though he had to go through terrible things to teach us this. And Satan answered the Lord and said, However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to his face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your power, only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now I want you to see here, Satan is throwing his missiles at us. He wants to get us down. The moment he has permission from God, he'll get us. Once God gave him permission, Satan ran forth, bango, you know, you got boils all over you, Job. He, he wanted to do that a long time ago. And if he could get permission, he would have killed Job. And that's, he'd do that with us. This is a special window from heaven that we can look through and see how God works. First two chapters of Job. Last two chapters of Job. And it is so important for us to understand this. So, does God care for his people? Okay, he said, well, no, God doesn't care. Look what he allowed Satan to do. Hold it. We're looking at our personal convenience and what we would like done on earth. God has a greater purpose. So when we're thinking about God's care, we have to think about his whole purpose. What did God think about Job? Did he really care about him? Job was God's favorite person. He was blameless. He was righteous. He feared God. Don't you think that God cared for him? Oh, yes. But he was willing to allow these things to happen. So don't judge by what you see or what you go through about God's care for you. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Because I would wrongly discern God and how he does things. If we want that, that right sense to discern good and evil, we have to see that we're not going to blame God. We're going to trust God in the sovereign design of what he's doing. And maybe someone's going to take my house. I'm going to be cast out of my house. Or take my money. Or steal this from me. Or hurt me. I have to trust it under God's sovereign design. And in those circumstances, not focus on the blaming, God or others, but focus on his care for me. That's the only way we'll find help. We have to trust God for his sovereign timing and plan. For Job, we know success did come, what we call success, but it came after a scourge. So for Job, three things. God sometimes allows evil. Get it into your mind, even toward God's people. But it's always uncontrolled. You only could down to that point of what? Only spare his life. You couldn't do everything. You had to spare his life. God pays attention to the needs of his people. Does he? Sure he does. He was paying attention to Job, paying attention to all that. In fact, he said, well, what about Job? Isn't he great? But we can trust God for the details. We don't need to know them. I want you to see, this is where trust has everything to do with faith. And faith is different than sight. You will not feel like everything's well, just like Job did not feel everything was well. But he did not blame God. He did say, it would have been better if I didn't live. I, can blame, I don't blame him for that. But he trusted God with a sovereign design. So the lie here is God is not willing to care for you or that he doesn't care for you. As a believer, he infinitely cares for you. His love for you cannot grow. His care for you cannot grow. He will care for you differently in different stages of life, but it's always there and we can trust him. So the cycle of deliverance goes like this. I'll just put up five things. I'm not going to talk too much about this. We talked more about this kind of cycle in uh, overcoming anxiety, and I spent more time with that. It's very similar. First of all, think what you're depressed over. Why are you discouraged? Second of all, what do you doubt about God and how he can help you? Remember, the issue is you're overwhelmed. I can't cope. I don't feel like I can cope. So the question is, what are you doubting about? Is it God's power? I would ask. Or is it God's care for you? Usually it's one of the two of those things, or both of them. Thirdly, when you see where you failed and trusting him, 
You confess and repent from your doubts. God, now I'll give you an example. God, I didn't believe that you really cared for me. I thought, I demanded that if you really cared for me, that you would get me out of the circumstance. I'm sorry, I should never have done that. I should trust you with circumstances like Jesus and just be committed to loving my enemies, loving my friend, loving my spouse, loving you. I haven't. Would you please forgive me? You see? That's the way that confession leads right into a prayer, taking the truth and praying it out. What about the other side? What if I uh, don't believe God has power to help me? You talked about your PhD. This exam, this relationship, God, I don't believe you can do anything here. It is impossible. I'm sorry. I should never have said that. Why would I ever say that? You're the God who specializes in miracles. Maybe I'll fail this, but I want you to know that you are the faithful one who will help me to accomplish the impossible. Jesus was facing an impossible situation. Job went into an impossible situation. Daniel went into an impossible situation. That's why we have Hebrews 11. It's those people who live by faith and show that they're trusting God that he could bring about success in ways that we never could. We might not be in control, but God is, and that's sufficient. Lastly, I want you to go back to task. Things you should do. You're piled up on things. You're neglecting your assignments. Well, confess them. Straighten out your mind. Go back one by one. It might help, by the way. More serious the depression comes, you've neglected a number of areas in your life. And what we need to do is start with gaining control and start doing some small things. Don't think that you'll be able to next day do everything. What I would suggest is get a friend. I have neglected this, this, this. And just say, all right, I want you to help me to be accountable. I'm going to do one load of laundry a day. <laughs> I'm going to cook one meal a day for my husband. I'm going to have quiet time five minutes each day. Now I'm going to talk to you. Step by step, try to do a little bit. And try to see, okay, God, you have to help me. And take these truths, keep coming back and back to this point. Just reminders of things we talked about. The evil one seeks your worst. He will bring those thoughts in your mind to confuse you and bring you down that cycle into disaster, into death. Don't blindly trust the world's solutions. They don't really care about your soul. Who does? God. He died for you. And when it comes push to shove, most other people, you know, especially the professionals, you're just in for five minutes, you're out the door give you a quick prescription. They're not really caring for your souls. They don't even believe in the soul. Do you realize that? They don't believe in the soul. And yet we put our trust in them. Be careful. Obey even when you don't feel like it. Okay, we went into the feelings. And you say, I can't do it. I can't feel it. Well, you, I just encourage you at that time, break in with a truthful prayer. Lord, it's true. I can't do it on my own. I've been trying and look how I've failed. I've neglected this and this. Please help me. Break through your feelings with an honest prayer, like we just talked about. Remember, it's training your senses, your perception. And your feelings, they might not come around right away, but they will eventually. They will eventually. Follow what you're thinking. Trace your responses, those five Ds, uh, those five steps downward. Uh, maybe share them with a friend to kind of reinforce it with your own life. Hey, you got 10 minutes? Let me share something I learned from a class on Sunday. Hey, talk to a colleague, you know, a student. And this really helped me understand depression more. And maybe it will help them. Affirm the two truths. What were the two truths? God is mighty and has power. God has power and you're looking at your sheet. No, no, no. Let's <laughs> just <laughs> he cares for his people. And, and what you're saying, yes, he does have his purpose, but that's kind of put under all the care. Keep those in your mind and memorize some truths that help you. And go through the cycle of deliverance. Make sure you pray, confess, you carry out the tasks that you're supposed to it makes a lot of difference. There is, under the Biblical Foundations for Freedom, there's this article on the book of Haggai, uh, Depression, Its Causes and Solutions. If you want to read anything on depression, uh, I encourage you to read that. It's right in the book of Haggai, you, you begin to see how depression actually works out and its causes and its solutions. God has a lot to say in His Word, and uh, we're trying to encourage you to think about those things. So remember, there's that flow. God gave you a new life, and he wants you to be a man or woman full of hope. And because you're full of hope, you give hope to others. Jesus says, I'm with you even to the end of the age. And so that spirit purposes to increase our growth, 
the growth process never ends, and as he blesses us, he uses us to bring blessing to other people. Why don't we close in a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you so much that you have called us overcomers. You have made us overcomers through your word, through the truth, by giving us your truth to help train our senses to discern good and evil, to be able to notice when Satan is saying something that's not totally true, leading us on downward. It's in contrast to the good where you tell us to trust you and to follow and obey you. We pray that you would help us to be men and women who believe you, to believe that you are all-powerful and that you are a God who care for us, greatly care for us, and you could not even increase your care for us. You love us so much. Build up our faith and trust. We ask you might cleanse us from all sets of discouragement, doubt, and despair. From all the spirits of depression, we ask in the name of Jesus, through the blood of the cross, cast them away, O Lord. We want to receive your hope into our life, that you will build us up and enable us step by step to do what you've called us to do. To your glory and through your strength in Christ we pray. Amen. This concludes Lesson 9, Adopting God's Hope, Overcoming Depression, Reaching Beyond Mediocrity. Produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net. Releasing God's truth to a new generation. If you haven't done so, make sure you pick up the exercise sheets. And while you're at the BFF website, make sure you check out the many helpful articles, all from a strong biblical perspective.